In November last year, the Lord woke me up to pray. And I, it's not I woke up and I think it's a nice thing to pray, no. I woke up, there was a presence of the Lord. And there was a stirring in my heart, son, pray. So I knelt in the darkness, I looked at my mobile, it was about four o'clock in the morning, and I came before the Lord. And as I knelt before the Lord, the Lord reminded me, do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So I prayed against money, sex and power, in repentance and identificational repentance for the church. And by the time I finished praying, I looked at my mobile, it was 5.15. I went back to bed. I was about to sleep and the Lord said, Son, pray. I just told the Lord, Lord, you tell me anything to do, I will do. So I got up from bed again, knelt before the Lord. As I knelt before the Lord, the Lord said, Son, it's not about money, sex and power. I go like, what? I thought money, sex and power is no trophy victory. The Lord said, no, money is a, a means of influence. Sex within marriage is a beautiful gift from the Lord. And power is a means of, of uh, engaging influence in the corridors of power. So I say, Lord, if that's not it, what is it? And the Lord say, it's within the heart. It is covetousness when it comes to money, lust when it comes to sex, and pride when it comes to power. Oh, I got it now, it's the heart. So I prayed against covetousness and lust and pride. And then I look at my watch, it's six o'clock in the morning, and I thought to myself, hmm, I can sleep in a bit. Uh, two hours of sleep, eight o'clock, then I get up to work. I went to my bed, uh, lie down, and the Lord said to me a third time, son, pray. And I was so tired, I go like, Lord, don't kneel, can or not, just sleep in my bed and pray. <laughs> and within my own heart, uh, my own spirit spoke to, to me, son, uh, Ed, in the presence of God, kneel. And so I got out of bed and knelt, and when my knees touched the ground, all of a sudden, I felt very clearly, the Lord said, I'm going to give you the key, son. Oh, my ears were all open. The key to this arena Warfare. And the answer is, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You see, it's not about our own strength. This is the principle you've got to understand. Greatness in the kingdom is, dies not in our strength, but in our surrender, in our submission. It does not come by the uh, title of our office. It comes in the testimony of our obedience. So I came before the Lord and this time no need to sleep anymore. I was just, speak Lord for thy son here. And by the time I finished that third seat, um, wave of prayer, I, I went to the a living room, switched on the light, opened up my Bible and I was soaking in. Fast forward a few months. Beginning of this year, I was praying for a revival. And as I was praying, the Lord said, I'm going to give you the key. And I said, Lord, you have already given me the key, which is be filled in the Spirit. They say, no, there's a second key that flows out of it. Oh, my ears were open. There's a second key. And the second key is, I'm going to teach you spiritual warfare. You cannot talk about discipleship without spiritual warfare. I have learned since young, you cannot talk about discipleship without being filled with the Spirit. And I'm not just talking about spiritual giftedness. I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit, being controlled, being directed by the Spirit, living our life by divine appointments, divine assignments, and divine alignment. And so I said, Lord, I'm all years, teach me. And the same principle comes back again. 
Greatness in the kingdom is measured not by our strength, but by our submission, not by the titles of our officers. Please, God is not impressed with our titles. He doesn't care if you are a general in the Lord's army, spiritual father or mother in the land, or a bishop or an apostle or a prophet or, or a senior pastor. Titles is, doesn't impress God. He's looked for one thing, He looks for one thing and one thing alone, the testimony of our obedience and the truthfulness of our surrender. In the Bible, there's a young general who understood that. His name is General Commander Joshua. Now, in the Old Testament, there are luminaries. There are greats like Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, uh, David, and, and Ezekiel, Daniel. Who's Joshua? Joshua is, in the scheme of the epic stories of the Old Testament, he's the next generation leader. He took after Moses. And very often when we talk about greats of, of the Old Testament, we miss Joshua, but Joshua is an incredible man for a simple reason. He understood this principle. Now, very often when we look at the Bible, we go to the Bible story, the Bible narrative, and then we derive the principle. This morning, I will do something different. I want to reverse it. I want to tell you the principle first and then go to the Bible and we could cover unprecedentedly seven chapters in Joshua 5 to 11 to show you the narrative of faith, surrender and obedience. But before we do so, would you bow with me before the Lord and ask Him to help us. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see wonderful truth out of Your Word. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 5 all the way to chapter 11. And I, want, I want to do that because I want to connect the dots for you. I want you to see the big epic picture of what it means to live in submission and to live in faith and obedience. So, Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, it begins with a fascinating thing in verse 2. It says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make thin lives and circumcise the sons of Israel. Circumcision right in enemy territory, it will render the entire army vulnerable. I mean, if you are circumcised, why not do it before crossing Jordan? Why cross Jordan in enemy territory? Then the Lord says, circumcise the sons of Israel. Because He wanted them to know this fundamental principle of being battle-ready. And the principle is this, consecration before conquest. Consecration is to call the people to consecrate themselves. And Joshua obeyed God by faith. The next thing he did was in verse 10, and that is they celebrated the Passover. While the people of Israel were in camp at Gigal, they kept the Passover. This is the first Passover in the land of Canaan after they have circumcised the people. And the Lord said, Today I have wrote away the reproach of Egypt. And he's about to bless the people. And they entered into this wonderful Passover celebration to remember the deliverance of God. Here's the next principle we should grab from being battle-ready. And that is worship before warfare. Worship before warfare. And as they came, they consecrated themselves and they worshipped. They were battle-ready. So now... Joshua, the commander, was alone facing Jericho. And then all of a sudden, there was a man with sword drawn came, uh, appeared before him. And Joshua drew his sword, charged up to him and said, are you for us or for our enemy? 
And this man answered, Neither. I come as the commander of the Lord's army. Immediately Joshua understood. He fell on his face and he worshipped the Lord. And he says to the Lord, look at uh, verse 15, or look at verse 14 first. The last part of verse 14 says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? In other words, tell me what I should do. Give me the battle strategy. Tell me how I should go forth in facing Jericho and conquering it. But the Lord didn't answer that question. This is what the Lord said in verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take up your sandals for your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. In other words, get this principle. Our battleground is sacred ground. Whatever battles you are facing today, you can be facing battles on the domestic front uh, with family or relationships. It could be financial pressures or health issues or, or work issues or career. Whatever battles you face, your battleground is a sacred ground. The place you are standing is holy. And when we understand that it's not just a battleground we are in, but a sacred ground, we can take out our sandals and we can come in worship and consecration before God Almighty. Because that's the key to battle. That's the key to warfare. That's the key to victory. That's chapter 5. It opens the curtain and says, come behind the curtain and see what is happening. It's consecration before conquest, worship before warfare, and the battleground is actually a sacred ground. When we come to chapter 6, it is the chapter on the fall of Jericho. And it starts with a promise in verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, chapter 6, verse 2, I have given Jericho into your hands. Now notice this is a promise of God, but it's stated in a magnificent way. There's a difference between man's promise and God's promise. Man's promise is, if you make a promise, I will give to you. God's promise is, I have given you. In other words, as far as God is concerned, it's a done deal. It is finished, it is completed. Joshua, I have already given to you. You just have to march out in faith and submission because greatness in the kingdom of God is not measured by our strength, it is measured by our submission. And then it says in verse 6, So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take the Ark of the Covenant. The first is the promise of God. The second is the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. In other words, don't neglect the presence of God. Don't take the presence of God for granted. Don't ignore the presence of God. You come in the presence of God. That's the key to being battle ready. And then they move on and God gave them the simple plan. You know the story of the fall of Jericho. Take the army, take the ark, march around uh, seven days. First day, one round, go back to the camp. Second day, one round, go back to the camp. Third day, one round, go back to the camp. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, same story. I can imagine the king of Jericho goes, 
battle stations and everyone came. Arrows ready, shields ready, spears ready, hot oil over the wall ready, everything prepared and ready. And they saw the armies of Israel coming, they were battle ready. One day, nothing happened, went back to the camp. Second day, nothing happened, went back to the camp. Third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, nothing happened. This is getting boring. Seven days, same old, same old. And then, wait a minute. It's one round Jericho, second round Jericho, third round, what's happening? Fourth, fifth, sixth. You can feel the narrative tension. And on the seventh round, seven ran home blue on a sustained note and the people of the Lord shouted in faith and the walls of Jericho fell. Double fortified walls, the walls fell and archaeologists tell us it did not fall from the outside in. It wasn't pushed over. It fell from the inside out. The walls imploded and collapsed because of the mighty deliverance of God. Yet, there is something in the story we must not miss. Because in all our lives, there's a story of Jericho. What is Jericho? In all our lives, there's a Jericho within. First, it's a story of strongholds. Unless we deal with the strongholds in our life, we will not have victory. The second has to do with the story of security. We must come to recognise that whatever securities we hold fast to for our happiness cannot satisfy the human soul except for God Himself. And the battle, the spiritual battle we face, the greatest battle is not out there. The greatest battle is within, in the sphere of our strongholds and the sphere of our securities. If Joshua is not able to overcome the stronghold of Jericho, he will not be able to possess the land. If we are not able to overcome the strongholds within, we will not be able to possess all the blessings and destinies God intend for us. The key is victory over our Jerichos within. Then you find that in the story of Jericho, it's not just the story of strongholds breaking down or our securities or false securities. No, it's a story of salvation. There's a story within the story in Joshua chapter 6. It's a story of how God is faithful because when the walls collapsed, there was a sliver of the wall that stood. And on the second story window, there was a red cord, a scarlet cord. And it belongs to Rahab who, who delivered, set free as it were the spies and saved them and pleaded, when you come and you will win the victory because your God is with you, remember me and my household. And the spies said to her, you take the scarlet cord, you take the red cord and you tie it and we promise you your safety. We promise you your deliverance. People, listen. Today, for the world, there's a scarlet cord. It is the name of Jesus and the blood of Christ that has the power to save. And we declare to the world, Jesus saves. Get my point. The point is, we, we are battle-ready and we want to win the battle, not just for our happiness, not just for our fulfilment, not just for our bragging rights. Oh, I won the battle. We win the battle so that we have a testimony of obedience to declare to the waiting and watching world, Jesus saves and Jesus delivers. 
God is at work in our life powerfully. And Jericho is a story not just of stronghold and security, but of salvation as well. Now we come from chapter 6 to chapter 7 and 8. And that is the story of Ai and the defeat. The what? The defeat. It was shameful. Jericho was a mighty victory. And the people of God became arrogant. And as they sent out intelligence officers to spy the city of Ai, they came back and said, no problem, Joshua. Only two or 3,000 men, we can conquer the city. So Joshua sent 3,000 men and they were soundly defeated. They retreated and ran back. And Joshua cried before the Lord, Lord, if this news ever go out to the Canaanites around, we will be demolished and defeated and devastated because they know now we are turning our backs and we are running like cowards. We are doomed. And as Joshua cried to the Lord, the Lord said, listen, Joshua, the reason why you are defeated is because there is sin in your land. There was sin of Achan. Because God told them very clearly, there are devoted things that you should not touch. What are the devoted things? They are korban. In other words, they are dedicated. What are they dedicated for? They are dedicated for destruction. But Achan's sin was his greed. He saw a beautiful cloak from Shina. I want it. He saw 200 shekels of silver. I want it. He saw a gold bar worth 50 shekels. I want it. And he kept it. What the Lord say is supposed to be dedicated for destruction. But I want it. Listen very carefully now for the principle in chapter 7. It comes up in verse 13. Chapter 7, verse 13, Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things. Did you hear that? You cannot stand before the enemies until you remove the devoted things. Listen, people, you cannot walk with God while holding hands with the devil. You have to decide which your side your allegiance is upon. You cannot win or stand before your enemies until you deal with these devoted things and remove them. The principle is dealing decisively with idolatry and idols in our life. So here's the question, Lord, I want the victory. And I know the victory means I must deal with the strongholds and I must deal with these idolatries. How do I do it, Lord? I am weak. How do I do it, Lord? And Joshua gave us the answer in chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 30, the answer lies in the simple terms. We'll look at verse 30 in chapter 8. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord. That's the key. The consecration unto the Lord, the worship of the Lord. The Lord become His magnificent obsession, His one aspiration. He built an altar to the Lord. Today, God is looking for altar builders. Today, God is looking for you and I to consecrate ourselves before Him so that He is our magnificent delight. And when He is our magnificent delight and the Word of God becomes the delight of our souls, we have the victory. We have the breakthrough. 
Oh, but the story moves on to chapter 9. What is chapter 9? Chapter 9 is the Gibeonite deception. The Gibeonites came, they were terrified. And so they came to Joshua and deceived him. Oh, we come from a far away country. Look at our provisions. Our bread when we left, they were freshly made from the oven. Now, it's still crusty dry bread. Oh, our wineskin were new wineskin, but now it is old wineskin. We come from a far away country when they were just neighbours. Would you make a covenant of peace with us? And look at the mistake they made uh, in chapter 9. It says in verse 14, the second part, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They did not seek the Lord's counsel. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. Listen, people, if we don't inquire from the Lord, we insult the Lord. Seek counsel from Him. And so they made the mistake. It was a sad mistake. And then now you come to chapter 10. Chapter 10 speaks about an insecure king. It begins with verse 10. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and his kings as he has done to Jericho and his kings, and how the inhabitants of Gideon had made peace with Israel, he feared greatly. So what did the king of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, do? Because at that time, Jerusalem is the city of the Amorites. Haven't conquered it yet. He thought to himself, I am going to bring together a coalition of five kings. And so he said, from Hebron to Eklon to Lachish to Jaffmuth and Jerusalem, we will come together as the five king coalitions of the Ammonites, uh, Amorites and we'll come against Joshua. It's a battle against the odds. And what did Joshua do in chapter 10 when he faced that? The Bible says, Joshua came, verse 9, Joshua came upon them suddenly and marched up all night from Gigel. Joshua took a night march with his army and at the end of the march, he stormed upon these five king collisions suddenly. Can you see the bonus? Because in the kingdom of God, greatness is not defined by our strength, but by our submission. And when God says go, he went by faith. There was a testimony of obedience and he came upon them. And the Lord did two things for them. In chapter 10, the first, he threw large hailstones upon the enemies. So much so, the Bible says more of the enemies were killed by the hailstones than by the sword of Joshua and his army. The second thing, here's an amazing epic miracle in the Old Testament. The sun stood still. So that now the people can pursue and, and press on in the victory. And people of God, listen to this principle. If God is giving you victory in your warfare, pursue that victory. Press on in that victory. Move in that victory. Because God is wanting to give us a great victory. And He calls us to persevere. The sun stood still. People, when the storms of life come upon you, hold fast to God because the battle belongs to the Lord. That's Joshua chapter 5, 6, 
7 all the way to chapter 10. Chapter 11 is the greatest battle of all. What is the greatest battle of all? The greatest battle of all is not the battle from our failures, but is battle in the aftermath of our success. Oh, breaking this coalition of five kings of the Amorites was an unthinkable victory, but God's hailstone and sun that stood still gave them the victory. Now when you come to chapter 11, it is a terrifying chapter. Look now at chapter 11 as I read from verse 1 onwards to verse 3. When Jabin, the king of Hazor, heard this, he sent to Jobab, the king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Ashbash, verse 2, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and the Ariba south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Nephodor in the west, to the Canaanites in the east, and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Jephusites in the hill country, and the Hevites under Hermon in the land of Mishpah. Verse 4, and they came out. If you're in the habit of underlining the Bible, underline these words, and they came out. This is the armies of the enemy rising up like sand in the seashore. They came out of all their troops, a great horde in numbers like the sand and on the seashore, and very many horses and chariots. The chariots were the ancient F-18s, the super hornets of the day. They were the war machines. Joshua had no superior army. They were slaves. And then they were, were desert people wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They have not built a superior army. They have no superior uh, weapons. There is nothing that they had. But this mighty coalition among the Canaanites, they rose as a mighty army. Can you see that? Can you feel the tension? The Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Jephusites, the Hittites, the Mosquito Bites, all came together. What did Joshua do? The Bible says Joshua charged. You, you look at verse 7. So Joshua and his warriors came suddenly against them. Charged. He ran into battle. Why? Listen, because he had the promise of God. Because he recognised that in the kingdom of God, is not greatness is not defined by strength, but by submission, not by the titles of the office, but by the testimony of obedience. And in faith and obedience and submission, he charged upon them and God gave a mighty victory. Now, if you think this is a victory of Joshua, you're mistaken. It's a mighty victory, but it's not the definitive victory. I tell you what the definitive victory is. In chapter 11, after they won the victory, and they took a deep breath, and sigh a sigh of relief, the war is over, the battle is over, they have won. They put down the swords. What's the next thing they did? Listen carefully now. The Bible says, Joshua verse 9, hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. This is the original Old Testament chariots of fire. Chariots are expensive, you know. The best chariots come from Egypt. They cost 600 shekels to buy a chariot. 
and then 150 uh, shekels for a war horse, a magnificent war horse. You have many war horses and many chariots. By economic, just financial power is great. By military power is great. He burned them. He hamstrung the horses. Why? Here's the reason why. Because God told him to. Then why did God tell him to? Get this principle. Because it will get you battle ready and to win whatever battle is in your life. The principle, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord, not to the chariots, not to the war horses, not to the superior armies. The victory lies in the Lord. His promises, His power, His presence, and His purpose to deliver us. You see, my brothers and sisters, greatness in the kingdom of God is not measured by our strength, but by our submission, not by the titles of our office, but by the testimony of our obedience. And I have to learn the journey of faith, submission, and obedience. And one of the early times I remember this, and let me close with this testimony now. I was a younger pastor. This is about more than 25 years ago, about 30 years ago now, three decades ago. More than a quarter of a century ago, I was with a few pastors in Singapore. We went to East Malaysia to minister. That night, my friend was speaking. I was sitting in front praying, and the Lord said to me, Son, go behind. I stood behind. I prayed for my friend who's preaching, and I prayed for the congregation. And suddenly, the Lord said to me, Son, dance. I don't do dance. I am a non-dancing evangelical, son of a non-dancing evangelical. I have a problem. Even if I wanted to dance, I don't know how. And I told the Lord, Lord, every time you speak to me, can you reveal to the Scripture so that I know it's from you? And the word of the Lord came, David danced before the Lord. And I go like, but that's David. He's a Jew. Jews dance every time. I'm a conservative Chinese evangelical. We don't do dance. And the Lord laid upon my heart, will you obey? Of course I will obey, but I don't know how, so forgive me, Lord. And I twirl around and dance the worst dance in the history of the Christian church. <laughs> As I was twirling around behind, suddenly the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and gave me a word of knowledge. Son, there's a woman dressed in yellow. Her husband has just left her. Her heart is broken. Go to her and say three things. I, the Lord, I'm your husband. I love you. I'll take care of you. I opened my eyes at the shock of my life. It's like, for whatever reason, that night there are so many women dressed in yellow. It's like, which one? Can you imagine going to the wrong one? Your husband has just left you. No, I'm not married. Ayah, your future husband. I can't say that. Oh, your husband has just left you. No, my husband is here. Are you thinking of leaving me? I cannot be party to domestic violence. So Lord, which one? At that time, the service was over. I was walking from the back down to the front. And as I was near the front, I go like, Lord, which one? You must tell me. I will obey. And then the Lord said to me, Son, I will reveal to you the one dressed in yellow. Your wife is already speaking to her. Whoa, faith stirred in my heart. I went to the front and saw Anne speaking to a woman dressed in yellow and I stopped my wife. I said, Anne, I have something to say to this woman. Your husband has just left you. Your heart is broken. The Lord wants to say three things to you. I, the Lord, I'm your husband. I love you. I will take care of you. She started to cry. Anne and I laid hands to pray for her. I wish I have a video recorder to show you the change in her countenance. 
Before there was a sadness and a darkness and a gloom. But after that, there was a joy of the Lord that flooded her heart. It shone through her countenance. And that night, as in the hotel room, Anne asked me, Anne, how do you know? How do you know? I said, I dance. <laughs> you know it's not the dance. It is the submission and the obedience. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not measured by our strength. It's measured by our submission. It's measured by our surrender. Not the titles of our offices that doesn't impress God, but by the testimony of our obedience to trust and obey. That's the key to victory. Would you bow with me in prayer, people? Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you give us victory in the battles of life. And my dear friends, some of you have come today, you don't know Jesus yet as your personal Lord and Saviour. I say to you, He's the commander of the armies of God. He wants to deliver you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you the power and the victory to live life victoriously. And all you need to pray is a simple prayer of faith in your heart right now, which is, Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Come into my life. Grant me the victory. If this is your prayer right now, would you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you, wherever you are. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Grant me the victory. Would you raise up your hand? If you haven't prayed this prayer before to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, right now, would you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you. Right now, anyone? Right here. Yes, God sees your hand. Anyone else? Lord, I want you into my life, Lord Jesus. Raise up your hand. Yes, God sees your hand. Anyone else? Lord, come into my life and give me the victory. If you have not prayed this prayer before, today Jesus is standing before you and He wants to save you. He wants to grant you the victory. So by faith, in trust and obedience, right now, pray in your heart, Lord Jesus, come into my life and grant me the victory in the battles of life. Would you raise up a hand? I want to pray for you. Is there anyone else? One last time. Yes, God sees your hand. One last time. Anyone else? Just raise up your hand. Yes, God sees your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? One last time. Anyone else? Oh, Father, I just pray for these hands that have gone up, both here and those who are watching this. I ask, Lord, for your favour and your grace to come upon us. Grant us the victory. Now, I want to speak to those of you who know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour. You have your Jerichos. You have your strongholds. You have your battles. But I'm here to tell you the battle belongs to the Lord and He wants you to be battle-ready. He wants to give you the deliverance. He wants you to be more than overcomers. And if you say, yes, Lord, grant me the victory in Jesus right now, would you stand with me right now? Lord, grant me the victory in Jesus. Would you stand? Lord, I want a mighty breakthrough over the strongholds of Jericho. Would you stand? Lord, I want to receive your destiny and your blessing for me. Would you stand? Lord, I want to be better ready in you. Would you stand? Listen, greatness in the kingdom of God is not defined by our strength, but by our submission. Not the titles of our office, but the testimony of our obedience. If we learn to trust and obey, to build an altar unto the Lord, He grants us the mighty victory. I'm going to ask your senior pastor, Pastor Young, to come and pray for us as a congregation that the victory is in Jesus, our Deliverer, our Messiah.
just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.